Are you all ready to join me today in our trip to outer space? Come along quietly or not. I will talk to you of art. For there is nothing else. Some artists make a Hello folks, this is Albert Shivers, as usual, and you are listening to another episode of Planet Shivers. This one's going to be another good episode. We're hitting it out of the park lately, I gotta tell you. On this episode, we got Mike Strunk. He's back. My buddy, my compadre. He's back for a third episode, and it's exciting to have him back. We talk about horror movies. We talk about Woodstock. We talk about Mike living in Seattle. We talk about Mike living in Portland. Great conversation. Great episode. You're going to love it. I promise you. And if you don't love it, you ain't getting your money back because you didn't pay for it to begin with. Before we get to Mike, though, a little bit of what's going on with me. My jazz art show. We got dates. August 22nd, August 23rd. If you're interested... In coming to this show, you got to buy a ticket. Because of Corona, they're limiting the amount of people that can come in. Therefore, they're selling tickets. The tickets are not expensive. They go right back into the gallery. It's a great place run by great people. Courtney, Sylvia, Namu. It's worth every penny. It ain't going to be expensive. I think it's like 5 or $7. I don't have it in front of me at the moment. But if you're interested in going to the show... You can go to Create and Be Art Studio on Facebook. You can go to them on Instagram at CB Art Culture. And go to their website and you can check out how much the tickets are, what the show is about. The show is going to be good. Courtney and Sylvia are going to be giving you a guided tour through the artwork. I'm going to be sitting in there answering questions, giving speeches, talking to the folks who are interested to even talk to me. And it's going to feature all my jazz artwork, the drawings, the sketches, the collages. You'll be able to see it all. And also, in talking with Courtney and Sylvia, they're going to let me hang up some very rare old jazz photographs. I got jazz photos that no one's ever seen, and I'm going to share a handful of those at the show as well. They'll be in their own little section. On top of that, Legacy Barbershop on Crystal Street in East Stroudsburg is also going to be having some of my artwork in there. Also jazz related. Let me tell you, you've been sitting at home since March. You're getting all scraggly. You're starting to look like a hippie. You don't want to look like a hippie anymore. You don't want to be standing there looking like Joe Cocker with half a half a beard and long hair. You want to go get a haircut. You really should go to Legacy Barbershop. It's classy. It's old-fashioned. My buddy Juan runs the joint. It's a very nice, classy, vintage-style barbershop. He's got the old-fashioned chairs. Everything is wood grain and very pretty. Everybody there is also a professional. Pick your barber. They all have their specialties, but they're all professional. I was in there a couple of weeks ago measuring to put the art up. It's a great place. Legacy Barbershop on Crystal Street in East Stroudsburg. It's not too far from the Chinese restaurant. If you're familiar with that area, you could also look them up on Instagram. 
You can look them up online, Facebook, the whole bit. Definitely a good place to go to finally get that haircut. You know, you don't trust your wife. You don't trust your girlfriend. You know, you tried to have your buddy do it, but his clippers burnt you top of your head. Stop messing around. Go to Legacy Barbershop. You won't be disappointed, I don't think. Before we get to the episode still, I got one more thing to talk to you guys about. It's because I got a memory burn last night. So I've been thinking about getting back into collaging. It's been a while since I collaged, over a year. And I go back and forth. Sometimes I feel more like drawing. Sometimes I feel more like collaging. But it had been a while. And I've been walking around my apartment, looking at my big collages, wanting to get back into it. So yesterday, I pulled the cart out of my closet. I got this big cart that um, has all my collage stuff on it. Pictures that I separated, magazines, all my supplies are on this cart in the closet. I pull it out, and on the bottom shelf of this cart was about an 8-inch stack of old life magazines from the 60s and the 50s. So I'm going through these magazines, sorting them out, and I get hit with a memory. And this memory kind of made me think about what goes on around the production of a piece of art for me. And this can apply to you with whatever you're doing. What's going on around you, being aware of what is happening around you in that moment. And in this case, inadvertently, making a stamp, a memory stamp, you know, on my brain. This particular day, it was a night actually, late into the night, three, four in the morning. My folks are away. I'm dog sitting for them while they're away. I have all this collage stuff sitting in front of me. I have a bunch of old life magazines fanned across the living room floor. I'm sorting them out. Like I said, it's the middle of the night. I got Violetta Storms on TV. Look her up. Have a laugh at my expense. Make sure you got your safe search turned off, though. Turn the turn the censorship off on the computer when you look her up and have a laugh for me. And I'm just living it. I'm living it. I'm, in, I'm up in the middle of the night. I'm an artist. And just that that memory hit me. And it got me to thinking about all the other times of what was going on around me when I was working on art. And many, many times I was sitting with Mike Strunk. Many, many times. I am not somebody who likes to draw around people. I don't like drawing on outside I don't like drawing in public places I can't even sit in a coffee shop and draw because to me that feels like look at me I'm an artist and I never want to never want to be that guy so I don't even like drawing in public the one time I drew in public I was sitting on the front steps of the New York Public Library and I drew some girl who was walking by for about 10 minutes and I, I hated myself for it. I don't even know why. But that's a whole other road. There are things that happen that aren't the main event, but they're happening around you. And that could be as good of a memory as what you're working on. All those years. I'm talking back to 2012, at least. All these years, I've been... Drawing alongside Mike a whole bunch. 
he's working on his thing, whether it's a painting, whether it's his comic book, whether it's his music, and now with his toys, Ron Kong. They're on eBay, modern day rubber jigglers. Go check them out too. After you're done looking up Violetta Storms, cool yourself off. Go look at some uh, Ron Kong jigglers made by Mike. They're good stuff. And he's got new ones coming. He's unstoppable. But anyway, I sat with him and I'm working on my thing. And in the end, the art doesn't even matter. Now, I did some great pieces that I'm very proud of sitting on his couch, sitting at his coffee table, at his kitchen table even, all the tables. I made some great art, but it was the conversations. You know, it was what he and I were going on about while we were working. And I feel it made the pieces better, you know, and that he could hold something up to me. And I could hold something up to him midway through. And we'd be kind to each other's art, but we'd be honest too. And we'd say, oh, maybe you could do this little thing, or maybe you could do that sort of thing. Or we could quell our own insecurity about the art. Does this look good? I don't think it looks good. Oh, you idiot, it looks fine. That sort of thing. It's good to have an art buddy. It's good to have an art buddy who's honest with you. And who likes your work and you like their work. And you you build each other up. You know, it's I think it's a good thing to have an art buddy. Somebody you click with that you can show art to. And they can show your art, their art to you. And um, I'm thankful for all those times. Sitting around with him doing art. Because, you know, it just... Look, I could be sitting home alone drawing and the art could come out the same or it could come out worse. But isn't it better to be around people? You know, actors do it all the time. Musicians do it all the time. Artists, we have a very sedentary, very isolated thing. And I'm not proposing that we all go out and and do art together like a bunch of damn hippies. I'm not saying that. That's my second dig on hippies, I think. What do you want from me? I was raised by New York bikers. I can't help it. I'm not saying we should all get together and do art together, but find somebody who you click with that you could sit down across the room and do a painting. Chat it up a little. Find someone you could sit and sketch with and show it and not not feel weird showing it because you know that other person might tell you the truth about it, but isn't going to be an ass about it either. You understand? That's all I have to say on the topic. Let's get to the conversation with the one, the only, the infamous Mike Strunk. Let's talk about movies. 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 So, you, if... Nobody else has put more fear put in my Put you through veins. hell? Yeah. <laughs> than, ah. than all the Tower movies. <laughs> from from um, the interview to possession, the human centipede, which I did fight off. <laughs> but like, so being a kid in the boonies, mm-hmm. pretty much, 
which we can relate on the fact that to some degree TV was our babysitter. It was our life, yeah. Yeah. Pathetic is it's why when we became eighteen we became like anti T V people and say, Fuck right. you, I'm not gonna sit like you did my parents yeah. for the last thirty years of my life just sucking my thumb watch it you know, we we sucked it up day and night. You know. We I guess we got our fill. I felt that way. Yeah, it was funny though, because like what you know, we were watching different stuff. But it was yeah. very you know, it was very similar. I think you probably had a little more to do for whether it was good or bad. When I was living in the West End area when I was a kid, I had very little to do at all. So I would just sit up late at right. night and smoke grass and watch Night Flight at night. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like, yeah, kids around here just, yeah, they really didn't do much. But So like, can you remember a moment or a movie that, like, flipped that switch in you, that, that horror movie that was... That made you say, this is what I like. See, that's weird. I could tell you that I sat back one day with a joint in my mouth, or black hash it was, and watched Woodstock. And it was changing. It was like, holy shit. There was mm-hmm. something other than horror okay. that I found interesting in my life. I was the weird kid who was sent to one shrink after the other by my father, who happened to be a caseworker himself, and so he knew all those people anyway, who he would say this... I remember they would say, I have a preoccupation with horror. I was five years old, and my whole house, my whole room was just horror. Just horror. It was like fucking vampires, and there was... I mean, it wasn't even robots and trucks. and sh- It was just right. horror. So I had an obsession with horror stuff since I was a very young kid. And uh, I was like the kid you see in the beginning of the movie Creep Show. He was mm-hmm. hitting his dad with a voodoo doll. <laughs> that was me. And so the horror was always there. The horror was there before the movies. I mean, the movie... The, it, 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 well, it had to be from the movies. But I remember... Okay... I remember not being able to read. I don't know if I was in school yet. And somehow I sleuthed my way into understanding a TV guide well enough to know what the what the image, the symbol thriller was. I couldn't even read the word, but I saw the, the word thriller. And I would go up to my mother and father and point in the TV guide to this word thriller. And I knew somehow that was going to get me to a horror movie. And I remember being five years old and just waiting and waiting and waiting. Saturday mornings, I knew it was thick with uh, spooky movies and shit. And I would go out at night, because I know I didn't live in that house that I'm thinking of past the age of eight. I would go out at night. I couldn't sleep. I didn't want to sleep. There was too many creeps and fun stuff for me to do at night. And my folks would be sleeping, and I'd know they'd be sleeping. So I would sneak out of my room, and I would have that 12-inch TV, which was huge at the time, and I would take a blanket and put it over the top of the TV, and then I would just put it around my back and just suck radiation up, and I'd flick around the 13 channels that were hard, I remember at the time. That's how little I was. And I'd be, two, three, and I'd get to channel nine, because that was the fucking channel where that weird hand came out of the swamp and said it was chiller theater, and it would happen at night sometime, and occasionally I would score, and I'd sit there all night, watching it, scared, you know, and under my blanket, and 
sometimes they would catch me and sometimes they wouldn't. I recall no later than six and seven remembering or thinking in my mind, imagining monsters and imagining where they might be. Like I might go, I might be down my road from my house would be a dirt road. And then there was this person's yard and next to it was this little trail that went back in where the kids would hang out. And I would imagine a place that I knew and I would go to find the monster. And so out my, my, my door, I went and my mother, I think she thought I was a sleepwalker, but I wasn't. And I'd walk out the door at night, 12 o'clock, whatever the fuck it was, go out, go down the road, go down to that path and get to that point in my head that I was. And then I would see whatever it was that I was thinking of some creature or some shit. And I'd shit. I'd go crazy and I'd come running back screaming all the way back, screaming through the neighborhood, screaming by, by the houses. And finally, by the time I was making such a noise that by the time I came running up to the backyard, my mother was already out on the porch like, what are you doing? What's the matter? What's the matter? I'm like, there's a monster. And I'm going off. I used to terrorize myself doing that. And I did that like two or three times. And my folks thought I was a sleepwalker and shit. And I just loved horror. Like, I can't even tell you what it was. I, 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 like I could say I was an angry kid and I was, but that came later, you know, the day some kid grabbed the salamander out of my hand and squished it and I felt rage for the first time. I had already been like sitting around watching vampire movies and Godzilla movies Mm -hmm. for three years of my life. I just, yeah, it's never not been there. I could tell you movies that have moved me a lot, but no, everything since, since consciousness, <laughs> you know, I remember my mother, I remember my grandmother, I remember my birthday party and I remember Dr. Shock Theater on channel 17, no, doc, yeah, Dr. Shock Theater, channel 17, 12 o'clock in the afternoon on Saturday mornings, all of that before the age of eight, <laughs> wow. yeah, so. And so, you know, I spent all my money on rubber monsters and, and like, this is all just, yep, just always horror. So then what was it about Woodstock that made you like it? I was very angry, very angry. And I only saw, it was a dark thing for me. And I don't know, I think I battled anxiety And I never graduated through school. In fact, they let me out a year early because I was just that terrible. And uh, one day the principal just shows up and says, Okay, Michael, you're free to go. I knew that I had another year to live it out. But I was Mm -hmm. just sitting in a a hallway in front of his his room, him staring at the back of my head, just like, like, yeah. I uh, Say the question you just said again. So, what was it about Woodstock? Yes. So, at this time in my life, whatever that horror thing was, man, like, that was not really the problem, although some people might have seen it that way. I just didn't like school, and I didn't like that world at all, and I fought tirelessly and relentlessly to get out of it and to get 
suspended and everything I could to like escape it. And it was a dark scene. But, um, like it was criminal almost. Like I don't, I remember sitting in the school constantly thinking about hurting people. It was really that bad. I just hated, I hated everybody on every side of me from teachers to students so much. And I just didn't want any part of it. And I wanted to escape it. And eventually I kind of did. But it is a really weird thing to say. And hopefully you don't have any young viewers out here listening to this out of the two viewers that you have. Yeah. <laughs> but drugs saved my fucking life. Drugs saved my life. I would never tell my kid this. I would never tell anybody's kid this. My life at the time was that horrible. And maybe it was because I was chemically imbalanced and having anxieties and whatever it was and hating everything as much as I did. All One day I remember taking Speed, Black Beauties they were, and I put them down for the first time. And, you know, they say that about kids who are ADD and shit like that. They say that it just sort of straightens them out. I remember just being in some kind of hell. And one day I just took these two pills. They had little, um, what do you call it, scales on them. I don't mm -hmm. think they make them anymore. And I was like, holy God. And I just felt straight and great. And for the first time in my life that I could remember since I was a kid, I just enjoyed the whole day, even in school. And I was hooked. Mm. It doesn't matter what you gave me. What? What do I want to do? Votech? Yeah, I'll go to Votech. <laughs> Let me take the, 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 the short bus up to the Votech school and go hang out with guys and make pot pipes in the plumbing class all day and smoke and drink and pop every fucking thing I possibly could. And they'd kick me out of school when I was drunk or, you know, whatever, whatever I could do. And so I took those two pills and I went straight. And then something happened where I came off of them and went back to school. And I realized, oh, shit, I'm back in hell. And I don't have anything to smoke or drink or do anything. And I got mean. And that, that day I just, I don't know if I attacked somebody verbally or whatever I did. But I went from a timid person to a scary person. And suddenly, whatever my actions were in that few months' time of the time that I started doing drugs had me sitting on the back of the bus instead of the front of the bus, hanging out with all the 30-year-old kids that never graduated high school, hanging out with the drug addicts, befriending Jimmy, who ended up going to New York, like I told you about. Mm -hmm. I suddenly was just a bad kid in the back of the bus, and... In school, it went from everybody sort of harassing me or putting me to the test to people staying fucking clear. And that's <laughs> fine. That was perfectly fine to me. And the more drugs I did, the more I found myself in that world. Next thing I'm hanging out down at the trailer court with people and they're working on their bikes and bikers and weirdos. And because all the bad kids that didn't, gra that didn't graduate, they were all in the back of the bus smoking their grass and they would get off at the trailer court before the bus would come to my neck of the, to my neighborhood, which was all mm -hmm. those up, upper middle crusty people that were doctors and lawyers and shit who didn't want their kids even in on the same bus with those people, which I remember they tried to stop at one time. I was delighted. And half of my friends died before I was, you know, out of my t 
teens, I guess. Danny Matsko got run over, and this guy died of hepatitis from drugs, and Mike Dorsheimer got, you know, just one thing after the other. And um, I was just a beast, just an absolute monster. And uh, pretty dangerous, really. And luckily, I didn't have any interest in guns and things like that. Because if I would have, I wrote a book when I was younger called Why? Why with a period. And it was, the whole idea and concept of the book was this. Why do you need to hear it from a PhD? Why don't you hear what happened to Columbine and places like that from the mouth of somebody who was there? Because I was close. Mm -hmm. Very close. And it was just me not being, things weren't accessible then, whatever the case may be. So all of that. I was a beast, I was angry, I was scary, and I wanted it to be that way because the more I was, the more I would be left to my own devices to do what I wanted to do, and I was making friends in other places. But while I was in that crazy world with all those freaks, one day I sat down with a joint and I smoked it, and I was like, ah, man, I actually don't feel angry right now. I feel kind of chill. Matter of fact, I can't even imagine beating somebody up feeling like this. Boy, that music is kind of nice. What is that? The Doors? Huh. Yeah, it's a little evil, but, you know. And then one night I'm sitting up there just doing all the drugs that I scored, you know. And instead of, like, banging my head to the Sex Pistols or Black Sabbath or some metal shit, I see Woodstock. And I just live it that night by mm -hmm. myself. I'm really ripped on something, and I'm watching it, and I'm like, holy shit. It's like peace and love and brotherhood and all these things that just didn't make sense to me. And with my manipulated mind being in the state that it was, I thought to myself, wow, you know, that's different, you know. And that allowed me, that thing, whatever that was, that grass plus that hippie music allowed me for the first time since I was a child to step out of rage, step out of horror, step mm -hmm. out of anger, step out of violence. That was it. So, you know. And then, you know, there's a bad trip here and a bad trip there. And then I went out and I ended up with a bunch of bad asses. And they used to rob from houses and probably even shouldn't talk that shit out loud. And they would sell off the things they robbed to this creep down the road, which was to the Votech school and sell it for eight balls of cocaine. You know, and like I could have got arrested. And for some reason, there was something in me that always backed out at the last minute. I said, mm -hmm. whatever they're doing tonight, it's going to be trouble. So the ones that didn't die ended up in jail somehow. Somehow I got through all that. Somehow I got through all the craziness, all the crazy people, all the ghetto of New York, all the criminals of that area. We stole a cop's gun. I can even tell you where about that. <laughs> I mean, like, like it was crazy, crazy shit. And somehow I made it out of that and sat back and got doped up enough to realize that there could be another way of living. 
in breakfast club terms. I wasn't the basket case and the artist. I was the criminal. But I realized I could be that. And then suddenly things started come back to me that I didn't realize or remember since I was a kid, my creative side, drawing, music. And I focused my energy and just let myself become the weirdo, the freak, the artist, mm -hmm. as opposed to the criminal. And then suddenly, you know, one thing after the other happened. I had a band and I had a girlfriend and that was hell in itself, but it was something, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it was... Uh, you know, and I did. I went out to see shows, and one day I'd, I saw Marilyn Manson seven times, but I also saw Joni Mitchell. And you know, what I mean, like I just, like I had another uh, way of looking at life. So yeah. So yeah, that's strange. Hmm. But <laughs> yeah, so there, there. That's what Woodstock did for me, I guess. Well, yeah, it did a lot. It did. I just sitting up there watching the, the stupid hippies running around naked, <laughs> tripping and shit. You know, and like, like that's what I'm saying. For most people, it'd be like, nah, keep your kids away from the damn drugs. Especially back then. I mean, everything. That's when still stuff was getting cut, but still a lot of it was real. And when mm -hmm. I hear about all the shit that happens now, a lot of it happens from synthetics bad making and mixing things aren't drugs anymore they're like weird concoctions oh, people yeah. make in their basements and on top of that opiates which cannot be trusted but when i was a kid heroin morphine these were only the activities of the very very seasoned old junkie like, you'd have a couple people, you'd hardly ever see them living in Main Street, Stroudsburg, doing heroin or something. But then, and it was generations after all this stuff that I'm talking about, and I'm mm -hmm. still living like a kid out there being in rock bands and stuff, and I see these kids that are 12 years old, and they're, you know, taking heroin and smack and crack and date rape drugs and Special K and throwing them all together, you know, and end up getting raped and pregnant at, 14 I mean it like it, it was it was you know when they doped up the molly and the ecstasy with the H with the heroin it just brought opiates into the young the youth culture that's it that's the problem you know and uh yeah so even when I was a kid even though I think about all this drugs and shit. Yeah, I still remember things in pharmaceutical bottles. I still remember things being what they are. It seems a lot worse somehow, even though I was probably at the... <laughs> it's kind of like I was as bad as I could have gotten back in the mid-80s, and that wasn't half as bad as a kid at 14 that didn't have any issues or any depressions or anything would have been at 13 in 95 you know what mm -hmm. i mean like just yeah so but yeah so yep drugs saved my life no i mean now i don't touch them or wouldn't want my kid anywhere near them or anything like that you know not really against it i don't care what you smoke or you know but still like Strasbourg, this whole area at that time Mm -hmm. you know was it just all like you know being a little like I had my own trouble being a little boy and 
Staten Island in the nineties, mm-hmm. early nineties. So like, was it just all meatheads with trucks here? Uh, like, what? Strangely enough, I don't even know. Okay. So let's just say that fifteen years old, I moved off to New York. And life started, and I started running around the world, and I ended up living in Philadelphia and Rhode Island and all over the place. I did not hang around the locals. Mm -hmm. When I was 12, I started, I remember for the first time realizing that I could walk a half hour down from my house in Effort Sailorsburg area to the local bus station, get on a bus to Stroudsburg, and then take that walk from that bus station over to the march give them 30 bucks and i could get a round trip ticket to new york city mm-hmm. and i did that kind of shit and i didn't see Stroudsburg until not so many years before i met you i never dealt with it i went all I over you. the world i went to jersey and i went to new york and everything else i remember leaving here when i was 14 or 15 or something and i was running around drinking or whatever it was and a bunch of stupid hillbillies oh yeah i remember going down main street Stroudsburg with a big old guy with a truck and they would just hoot and holler and talk nasty shit to all the girls as they go by never getting out to say anything to them uh the every area of main street was had those marks on the on the street where mm-hmm. everybody would just peel out you know and there'd be all these trucks just parked up against the 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 Dunkin' Donuts. I remember the one time, it was Carl Metz was his name, and and we got in his truck, and we went down 9th Street, actually, and we had tires, old tires, in the back of his car, and we just got it in our heads. There were some of us in the back of the truck. That's how different things were. And um, there was a can of gasoline. In the bed. In the bed. Okay. And there was a can of gasoline back there and old tires. And so as we're going up down 9th Street, we're yeehawing down 9th Street and we're pouring gasoline into the insides of the tires, lighting them and throwing them down the street. <laughs> so they're just rolling down and then going off to the edge somewhere, catching shit on fire. That's, yeah, bunch of fucking, yeah. If I start telling you the horror stories about about the inbred crap that chased me out of here to new york that made me hate the place like it wasn't just me being a weird kid into horror a weird kid being into horror could have been an artist it could have been anything but what happened was when i was eight years old i moved from sailorsburg which i still think is a delightful little town back into uh kunkeltown and ended up in a uh eldred school the first day of school, I remember some little fucking cross-eyed, buck-toothed kid coming up and punching me in the gut. And, I, you know, I just, like, they were nasty. Mm. And they and they were violent and they were mean. And just terrible fucking backwoods shitbag people. And there was all kinds of domestic abuse and, you know, and pedophilias and, and, and yeah, incestual shit, terrible shit. So I never saw the shit in New York that I saw here. Mm-hmm. Like when things happen in New York, you know why they happen. Somebody needs money. It's that simple. When you go back in the woods here and you're hanging out with your friends and you end up at some old trailer full of some guy, you know, and there's some guy just sitting there with a big gun and he's got piles of porno movies next to a to his <laughs> television talking about how he's going to 
you know, murder people. I, like, yeah, like people. <laughs> we had a, 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 a hooker with her head cut off down the road on Mikesville Valley Road when I was like 15 or something, 14. And they found her body but never found her head. And they identified her just because she had tattoos on her body. Mm-hmm. Then there was like a weird fight with these hillbillies down the road. And they literally choked a kid with peanut butter and hung him up from a tree. You know, yeah. like they, they they were a weird, weird fucking creepy bunch. And they were definitely, they took my horror to a new stage. Like I was just vampires and dinosaurs and shit and then i came over here to the west end and then i understood horror then i said you want to talk some fucking texas chainsaw massacre shit i used to hang around with my buddy and he'd sleep on the floor over a vent and his whole side of his house was full of uh buckshots because his father and the neighbor would shoot at each other and fight and like just crazy shit yep eddie walker hmm. um so my problem, the real horror came when I moved at eight years old up to the town on the edge of Kunkeltown and went to school in Kunkeltown. That made me a beast. Mm. That was it. That was that was a bad spot. And so I'm trying to remember how I got to this, but yeah. Yeah, we were just talking about Strasburg and the area. Oh, yeah, then. and Strasburg, yeah, that's what I remember. That was Strasburg, and it was that way when I was 14 years old, and there was a Blue Bugle gay bar down the road, and people go down there to beat up fags on a Friday night for fun. I mean, it was, yeah, there was skinheads all around. That's, that's mm-hmm. what I remember. And then I moved, and I just fucked off, and I stayed away, and I hated Strasburg and the Poconos and all this other shit. And then somewhere along the line... I just gave it a try again after years and years. And I was already an adult. I mean, I was like close to 30, I think, you know. And then I mm-hmm. ended up hooking up with Renee, who was like in her 20s, because it's rock and roll, right? You just end up with <laughs> some young girl or something. And she's like, well, maybe we should move to Stroudsburg. I'm like, huh. Never never got to know Stroudsburg. Never did. Mm-hmm. And then I finally came in there. And then it was a couple years after that I met you. Yeah. And then, you know, I try. I, when I came here, I thought, I don't know, I guess I was trying to relive my youth or something, and I didn't really, I was so angry, I felt like I missed a lot of that, really, with half of these stories I'm telling you. Mm-hmm. And so I just came into town, and I said, hey, look at all these little weirdos and artists and stuff, let's all get it together and sit on our floor and draw pictures and make movies and be mm-hmm. artists and stuff. So th- this is probably... about the time I met you or shortly before that was all the things I probably would have liked to be if I could have went back in time Mm -hmm. and pursued, you know, like there there was a period of time when I was pretty young that I got, it was late teens when I got into a band and shit, but then I ended up with some girl in the Yoko Ono thing, you know, she was Mm. crazy and I ended up living out in Scranton and she, she, (laughs) I just... And that was another hell. That was kind of the thing that led me out of here anyway. Right. But, yeah, I no, I never knew the area. I didn't mm-hmm. really give it a chance until recent years. You finally moved to Stroudsburg. And yeah. we crossed paths a bunch of yep. times. But the time when I really, like... Remember was I like, was the granddad of punk, they called me? I don't remember that. that. Somebody <laughs> did, because I was, like, the old guy that was still out there just hanging out with all the weird... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
But when I first, like, the first time I, we ever really had a real conversation mm-hmm. was at the restaurant, and you had just gotten back maybe, I don't know how long exactly, but you had recently returned from Portland. Oh, that was a changing experience, yeah. So that, to me, with all the stories of New York and all the stories of, of deliverance, Okay. Um, there was deliverance. There was right. there was the weird little horror kid who moved to some fucking backwards shit, you know, squeal like a pig and hung yeah. around with these fucking vicious, awful inbred beasts and they turned me into a monster. And then I went off to the city and lived all that and then you know I'm trying to but like I'm trying to think. Like, all this shit came later. Say what you were just saying again. Well, I guess we you were in all these places that were so drastically different. Yeah. And as if there needed to be another side to the coins, sort yeah. of, you, you went to Portland. That's it. Okay. So, then I'm in Strasbourg, and I'm meeting up with all you folks. And there was a lot of fun people and a lot of good people. But then there was me sort of coming to grips with what life really was, rather than me trying to relive some kind of youth that I felt like I missed. You know, I wanted to try to make it with, like, art and music and all those things I never did. You know, next thing you know, I found myself with a kid, and, you know, that's not the way things are going to go. But even right. before that, I'm hanging out with you guys, and we're having our little art nights and we're making things and 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 being creative and i'm starting to really get a a a, a feel for what this generation of people are on this side of the tracks i don't know the artists the leftists the concerns and the issues and the interests and the music of young people and I'm interested in it and you know I'm I'm living with a kid who has shows at our house musical shows Mm -hmm. DIY musical shows from all around the world they were coming in from fucking New Zealand all these places and I was seeing what the kids the people were doing and what they were drawing and what they were writing and what they were this that and everything and then suddenly I found myself in a generation that I couldn't relate to because I think in the beginning I turned on so hard like a beast because I was a timid mousy kind of kid like I remember times in school when I was didn't say a word for like years of my of my life just didn't mm-hmm. say anything you know and then that turned into the beast a couple years later but timidness is not something that i appreciate at all and i don't like it and i realize that you know confidence and all these things are the things that make you know you have to do it for yourself a little bit and here I am, an older guy coming into the latest generation of youngsters trying to be creative and use that potential to make art and stuff. And I see them kind of 
celebrating, I don't know, not growing up, being wimps, being timid, being cowards. Mm -hmm. And one terrible thing happens after another with it. Suddenly all the girls are in there shaving their heads saying, I'm a cisgender, this, that, and the other kind of thing, and I'm hanging out with all these kids who are just talking about getting sex changes at age 14 and shit. And it's like, you know, no. Like, you're just, you're just a fucked up, confused kid, and nobody knows who you are, and there's a lot of you know, comp ideas you can come up with in your head of why you're discontent and upset, and a lot of it has to do with you're just in this society of... of, of I don't know, timidness and anxiety ready to pop all the time. And, and you know, you think that this is going to relieve it or that. And that shit really hung on me because I wanted in my life to not be that. The last thing I wanted to be in my life was timid, shy. I remember just looking at my uncles and, my, and people in my family, and they're just these loud, crazy guys. Hey, what are you doing there, buddy? You know, and going to New York. What the fuck you doing, Ralph? You know, like... I love that. Mm -hmm. I love that. Love it. I, I, New York was one of the only places I, I loved it because of that in ways that I didn't realize. I was looking for something stupid and I found that. I hate where this generation has gone to a bunch of timid little mice that just bask in it and, and celebrate it. And they, they, they sit back with their little acoustic guitars, barely making noise, whispering these cutesy little... And, and, like, I was around that a lot with this new generation of artists. And finally, back in the day, if you would have said... If you if you would ask me to move to any hot town to find out what was going on, I would have went because I wanted to create art and music and everything anyway. And so you say, oh, okay, hey, Kristen, you, I'll move out to Washington for a while. See what's going on out there. Oh, okay, the Nirvana and all that kind of shit. And then terrible, depressing stuff. And I kept noticing that every time I end up going to these hip places, they're the worst. And then I end up in this hip place, and all I want to do is fuck off to Chinatown and watch little old men feed birds and watch kids chase the pigeons. Or I just wanted to get away from that hip shit. It got worse. It felt it felt sort of like the high school that I hated so much. I didn't want to live in high school. I don't want to, how you walk and how you talk and all those stupid things that are so important to people and everything. And I just realized that the kids were really getting much, much more timid and wimpy and not confident in a lot of things that I think is just not good. Blaming everything... Oh, it's your race, and it's your your sex, and it's your this, and it's your that, and fucking whiny, sniveling little bastards. And finally, I, my sister, you know, she's a young musical lesbian girl. She, you know, moves out to Portland, and my buddy Jesse, he's an artist, and he moves out to Portland. And I know that there's all this stuff going on in Portland, and I don't know what, but there's something. And I suddenly get the opportunity. My sister says, why don't you come out and visit? And I'm just like, all right, you know. And I go out, and I go out optimistically. It was it what moving to Portland, Oregon, when it was my last chance at trying to hold on to that. It's like I know I want to be an artist. I know I I want people to be colorful and and musical and 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 creative and free and all these things, you know. And 
as I said before, what happened? I sat around smoking a joint and watched Woodstock back in the day. You know, I didn't see the hard side of it. Mm -hmm. I see a bunch of fucking brats running around, you know, pissing on shit. But my grandfather used to tell me when he was... (laughs) But when I finally got to Portland, it all became crystal clear that what I saw out there and what I was experiencing, I did not like. In fact, I hated it. Not like Rhode Island or Philadelphia or New York where I could always find something that, that would appeal to me. I moved to, to Seattle for a while and I got the first taste of it there. And I said, these are a bunch of brats that, that, that are spoiled and, if, and, and a bunch of these other kids that came up with their guitars trying to be Nirvana and they've come into this town where they can't even relate to each other unless they're on heroin because everybody does it. So they end up selling their guitars for smack, you know, and then I end up back home for a year or so. And then I moved back out to Portland and by now I got Renee and I'm feeling content in that is that, you know, I, you know, I knew you guys and I had friends and stuff. Well, it wasn't you, but it was, mm-hmm. but I, I said, okay, let's try this again. There's something going on in Portland. I want to see what it is. So I go out there completely with optimism. I see shit. Absolute shit. Just every aspect of it. I mean, I don't know. You just bring up uh, anything about Portland, Oregon, and I'll tell you why the hell I don't want to be anywhere near it. I don't want to be anywhere where all people think alike. I don't want to be in fucking Alabama where they're all Christian, whatever it is. And I don't want to be in Portland, Oregon where, where they all... I, I went into a coffee shop and there was this bald chick in the front of the coffee shop writing, signing her book called Cunt. And I was like, oh, that's cool, you know. And she and we're sitting there and everybody's loving her in this and they're singing all this, this terrible woe is me shit about being fucked up and molested and whatever. And then suddenly the, the music starts at the coffee shop and I hear this woman girl with dreadlocks get up during a song because I wasn't paying attention enough to really see what was happening and she just stopped the person from singing and she says like I'm sorry but there's people in here that that would offend so we can't have that kind of thing and I said what the fuck did he just say because I was in there with somebody and he said he brought up straight sex with a woman and then I, as so- and as yeah, and as she was going on, it became clear to me that suddenly in this town, you know, it's like gay or else, you know. Right. And then and and it's like you know, fuck you. And then I went over and found somebody, you know, beating on somebody's car over eating a cheeseburger, and then some kid. And clown makeup on a bicycle starts running next to my car, punching my mirror. And I see on his back, he has this patch that has a bike thing on it. And it says traffic. In other words, he's traffic. You understand? And that all the cars have to go because they're evil and they create pollution. It's like, fuck you, you little <laughs> motherfucker. And I just, and I almost ran him over. I like, you know, and then Renee's like, stop, stop. And I'm like, little bastard. Then I went out. To some art gig that was like everybody was putting their art out there mm-hmm. and i put my art out in front of a spot which was really hard to find and this woman came out and she was just nasty she's like get out of here that's my property and and 
I was like, that's pretty funny. I haven't heard anything like that. And I almost kind of appreciated it. But she kept going on. And so I said, let me experiment with this. Mm -hmm. Right? And I didn't believe a shit of what I'm saying to you right now. And I said, lady, and she's a black lady. And I, and I was like, you know, don't you understand that? And I started playing the commie thing, and it was like mm -hmm. a joke to me. And I said, you know, I'm part Indian, and we don't believe in private property. So this is my fucking place. Mm -hmm. da, da, da. And she said, oh, my God, I'm sorry. Da, 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 da. You're right. You American Indian. I said, yeah, fuck you, American Indian. Hated that place. And, I, you know, I, I don't know why I end up, like, what am I supposed to learn then I came back from that shithole, that shit show. And God damn it, if I saw these fucking stupid ass kids walking around in the hundred degree weather with winter hats and big beards. Yeah. Like, ah, it followed me home. <laughs> All the fuck I wanted to do was come back to New York City and eat a fucking Big Mac and spit it in their face and buy something from Walmart and say, fuck you. And, you know, it, I, I saw a woman there with dreadlocks and some, uh, what the hell was it? It's a place where you get the organic Cheetos, you know, the 90% organic Cheetos. Because <laughs> fucking rock star farmers come out mm -hmm. and sell their cheese for a hundred bucks a gram. And it, what the hell was that called? It was some big grocery store that, that you know, didn't have the balls to keep chopping itself down to being a co-op, but ended up selling out but still wanted to play like it was something mm -hmm. special and they and I saw this woman and the one day I saw her decorating the dumpsters in the back saying please come in you know take what you want you know so that was trendy I said well why don't you just put some of that shit on a table out here you yeah know what I mean like whatever and then I saw that same woman go up to this little lady who was obviously a Mexican or Spanish of some kind and she had a kid on her back Carrying it like like she was living in another country, like like it just you could tell that she wasn't she couldn't speak English at all, and she's going in there and she's grabbing items, and this woman just this this girl started flaking out on her, this little rich bitch with fucking dreadlocks started screaming at her, saying saying you're killing your own people buying that shit. She didn't even hear what she's saying. She just came from the ocean probably with a kid on her back. You right. know what I mean? Just came across the border, and this like late ladies yelling at her and I just stopped her right there and I said what the fuck are you on about you know what are we all supposed to go out and 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 buy this one bag of groceries the right product the right brand for $500 the first fucking thing you can do is if you want to make the world a better place you better make that shit affordable because most humans don't have money you rich little fuck Oh, there was not a, a thing about that place that I could yeah. stomach. Hated all of it. I just wanted to punch people everywhere I went. And I, I loved the hippies when I was watching the Woodstock thing. Now I just wanted to fucking beat them. Little bastards. And they were well, nasty. And they stole they stole shit. And, like, just... I, I actually thought about it. They kept stealing pieces of bike because that was a trend. And I thought, you know what? We should set up a decoy and put it out there. And just the moment we see some kid come out and start stealing pieces of the bike, we'll just beat him with a bat. And I'm just like, okay, that's being a New York asshole. It's time to go back home. Yeah. <laughs> so I said, <laughs> so I said, let's go back and and uh, oh yeah, one story after the other. I'd like just one 
terrible thing after the other. Uh, so I'm working in organics to you. You want that one too? Sure, yeah. Right. Okay. So I get to Portland and I'm like, okay, what am I going to do here? Oh, it's heaven. You can just sit around and smoke grass all day. Okay, fine. So who are, who, who are you? I'm Mike and, and this stinky guy, really bad, didn't even put on his patchouli. He had a warehouse, a little warehouse called Organics to You, where all those rock star farmers I was telling you about would all come in in the morning, bright and early, and they would bring in all their produce. And they had the coolest shit in the world. They had purple cucumbers and, and, and black tomatoes and things I had never seen before. And what they did, I'm a delivery driver, so I wanted to learn my way around. I got into this little organics to you truck van, and I would have different boxes that had different things. Some would be produce, some would be produce, and or some would be vegetables and fruit and whatever. And I would take these boxes of fancy-ass vegetables from these little rock stars that charged way amounts of money, and I would go out of Portland mostly and all over the rest of Oregon and deliver these to people's houses. So that was my job. Organics to you. I would deliver uh, organic food. So, the warehouse, in the morning, you ride your bicycle over to the place. I was playing along. And you start loading up all the veggies, and you get them off the skids, and you put them in the boxes as, you know, if, if it's a, a vegetable and fruit thing, you put three apples and one, so whatever. So... And as we're doing that, we're all standing around. There's like all these kippies, and they're just smoking back and forth. They're just throwing their joints around. They got their music going. They all had these bongos on the side. It was like that heavenly thing, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? You could just go in there, and then on your breaks, they're playing bongos and shit. And um, it was one funny thing after the other. Like, the first thing I noticed was this kid's too damn stoned to say anything out loud and one day somebody didn't bring in the oranges and he's whispering hey where's the oranges and his friend says I don't know where is the oranges and they're going back and forth and like what, an hour goes by and an hour goes by and all these things are going off into the carts and they're all you know and they don't have their shit in them because they don't have the oranges you know what I mean and I just remembered at that moment working back at the Pioneer supermarket. And if only there was one loudmouth New York asshole that said, Hey, where the fucking oranges, you fuck? The whole thing would have been fine. But the yeah. whole day was destroyed because nobody could even speak up. They're all stoned and stupid and shy and... And, uh, and this fucking guy that owned the place, he didn't want to hurt the mouse. He didn't want to hurt the mice. And so he took them down the road and he would put them in a can and leave them go somewhere. You know what I mean? And he wouldn't set up a trap and he wouldn't do anything else. And like right before I left, the mice that he wouldn't get rid of that kept finding their way back had almost destroyed his whole business. There was rat shit and things all over his fucking organic food. And he's like going crazy. And before you know it, he's running around stepping on mice. You fucker. I'm like, you know, all the fuck you had to do is set a trap, you asshole. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But no, can't eat a cheeseburger. No. Can't be straight. Can't be white. Can't kill a mouse. It's like, oh man, fuck you people, man. And I I I came back and I and ugh and like it's it took me a while to come and that was it. I knew from that moment 
no, no more. Mm-hmm. No more of this whatever hippie hipster shit. It's done. Mm-hmm. Whatever it was at one time, if it was ever anything worthwhile, it ain't now. And now, you know, I see them running around California making this, you know, utopia of, of, of homeless people and shit and needles and shit. Everywhere. And it's like, yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> All you people, you don't know, but I know. Yeah. I know you're, I know, I know the little heaven that, that Pelosi and all her Californians are creating out there. I, I, I stepped in it a few times. So I'm like, nope, no more Portland for me. I came back and I heard somebody scream out their window, you see it, you motherfucker hitting the horn. I was like, I'm back. Yeah. You know, and then New York had to turn into this shit. Right. Now they got to become a bunch of fucking wimps. Just when I finally appreciated it. Just thinking about all these good old... There, that's a good summary for all this thing. Fucking good old New York survived for all those fucking years. And there's people piled on top of each other. And the immigrants are coming from every fucking where. And they're fighting. And they're fucking... And they get it together. And out in the West Coast, they still don't know how to say hello to each other on a bus. Here, they're just... They get it and they have it out. And nobody cares what color, what race they are. And then they all become a bunch of fucking whiny-ass bitches and 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 so yeah there's portland for you right little fuckers <laughs> thank you for listening to this episode of the planet shivers podcast you can find this episode and more on spotify google play itunes apple podcast the podcast app and on YouTube with video content along with it. You could find more of my work and get information on my shows that are coming up on Instagram at Albert Shivers or on Facebook, either at my Albert Shivers page, which is public, it's just art and podcast stuff, or on the Facebook like page, Albert Shivers Visual Artist. You can find Mike's current work on his Rong Kong Jigglers on eBay. Just type in Rong Kong Jigglers and you'll you'll see all the toys that he's got cooking and the new ones that he's come out with. Thank you so much for listening to this episode again. And um, we got a great show, another great show, big surprise coming up next week. But until then, love, peace, and hand grease. <laughs>